Hello and welcome. You are listening to the IFSEC Global Security and Focus podcast, where we bring you exclusive interviews with leading figures in the physical security industry to get to the heart of the profession. I'm your host, James Moore, the editor of IFSEC Global, and I'm excited to bring you episode three of the Security and Focus podcast today. We have very recently launched the 2022 IFSEC Global Most Influential in Security list. The link for the full list will be in the description of the podcast for those interested. And in episode three, we head across the pond to speak with Mike Gipps, Principal at Global Insights in Professional Security, who was ranked top of the association figures and thought leaders category this year. Now, Mike's been in the physical security sector since 1994, having started his career as a magazine editor himself. And as we find out, has since been involved in a real variety of different roles. As a result, he made for a fantastic guest for this episode. We've covered everything from how security professionals can get a seat at the C-suite table to all the major changes in the sector that he's witnessed over the years. Mike also gives us his insight into the future trends ahead for the security world, highlighting challenges coming from different areas such as social media, as well as more traditional forms like the insider threat. I think the really interesting point that I picked up on over the course of our conversation is how these two are beginning to combine into new threats where collaboration and enterprise risk management strategies will likely be best placed to mitigate them. And we end on a fascinating but quite sad story about a US intelligence agent. I won't go into that now. I don't want to spoil it for you. Just keep listening to find out more. So without wasting any more time, let's hear from Mike as we start by him introducing himself and his various experiences in physical security. I'm Michael Gibbs. I've been involved in physical security since 1994. I actually began my career as an editor, security management magazine, where I had to do things like explain how to set up an access control system using dry contacts or assess the pros and cons of the Wigan protocol. <laughs> uh, so I was really in the weeds, but learning at the needs of the masters of experts. I eventually became senior editor at the magazine. And I was tapped to create the CSO Roundtable for ASIS, and that's a membership organization that caters to the needs of the most senior security executives. My team and I built that into a global organization with more than 400 members or so. I then took over as publisher of the magazine, and then eventually when the new ASIS CEO arrived in 2016, I became responsible for a whole lot of stuff, magazine, CSO again, Certification, standards, guidelines, ESRM, knowledge, learning, and production. I was the CSO as well, which involved business continuity planning, crisis management, staff security training, event protection, and so on. Sometime in the industry, and, and you know, as, as you say, you started off as editor. It's uh, very much my role at the moment at IFSEC Global. So I, I know the feeling of learning off professionals who have been in this industry for a long time, listening to experts like yourself and understand the kind of nuances that go behind so much of the technology and the risk management strategies and all of that. What does your current role involve at the moment? I'm the principal of Global Insights and Professional Security, in which I basically took all the things I excel at and I dispatched everything else to the rubbish bin. So if there's something I can do, but someone's better at, like perhaps do a security survey, someone might ask me to do it. And I said, I can do it, but I'll get you a better person. So I do a lot of referrals that way. But what I'm really good at is what I focus on is helping smaller security companies with business development and strategy. I also develop custom content for them, such as articles, reports, and blogs. So there's my writing background. I conduct research for the industry. 
such as reports I did for the ASS Foundation on the effects of COVID on security and the use of blockchain in security. I also do media training for security and other executives. And when it comes to core security issues, someone might say, well, all that stuff is great, but that's around the periphery of security. I do core security issues. I specialize in insider risk, social media risk, ESRM convergence, and system integration. A lot there, obviously, and you know we could go into into depth on, on all of those things, I'm sure. But is there anything you think has changed significantly? You know, when I started in 1994, that was the dawn of the age of security as being viewed as a potential business enabler. It wasn't like that at all. Dennis Dalton came out with a book, I forget, maybe Principles of Security Management or something like that. And it was revolutionary at the time because it posited the security professional as a proactive, business-enabling, business partner, trusted advisor to the C-suite. And you see that a lot more than today. You know, security isn't nearly as often consigned to the boiler room in charge of operational duties like lost and found, issuing of access control cards, you know, locking and unlocking doors at the beginning of the day. It's taken on a much more strategic role. Now there are sort of management systems that embrace that new role. So you've got the business enabling part of it and you have the enterprise risk aspect. So it's not just security doing security like preventive and reactive things. It's more of a holistic risk management approach. And you see that in frameworks like enterprise security risk management and COSO and some of the other global frameworks out there. It's certainly something that we've seen, you know, some of the trend reports that we write on FSEC Global, we look at trends in video surveillance and access control. And, and I think the two key trends that we see every year at the moment is the ability for security systems to do so much more than just security now. You know, they're really providing, you know, additional business operational kind of enablers, as you say. And I think that's a real key aspect, I think, from what I understand, of, of getting a, a bit more of a seat at the table for security professionals. Would that be correct? Do you think that that kind of statement? That is 100% correct. And we've seen that happen over the past years. You know, you have to make things happen yourself as a CSO or senior security executive. No one's going to hand anything to you. You're not going to get a golden key to the executive washroom or to the penthouse conference room or whatever. You're going to have to prove yourself. And you do that by being an approachable colleague. Like you said, you make time for everyone but certainly your peers in other departments. So you're collaborative. You're helping to provide value, not just self-serving for security, but you're helping all your colleagues. You're helping the various departments and the organization as a whole. So you're positioning security as a value add rather than a drag. So for example, you know, just picking up on what you were saying, a COO may suggest maybe moving manufacturing to a country with lower costs and more readily available raw materials and cheaper access to markets. But as a security person, you might say, oh my gosh, there's a much higher risk of conflict in that country. You know, Maybe they're at the brink of civil war, kidnapping issues, street crime, higher risk of disease, political instability, corruption, what have you, you see a whole litany of potential security issues. Now, instead of saying, no way, Jose, that's not happening on my watch, even if you're thinking of that, you should work with the COO or whoever to conduct a cost-benefit analysis and discuss various alternatives to providing the added benefits that they're seeking 
while reducing the risk. If you really want to make yourself valuable and have a seat at the table, know the business better than anyone, even including the CEO. They actually shouldn't know every aspect of the business because you want them up at the strategic level, not necessarily at the tactical and operational level. But the CSO can know every detail. And part of doing holistic risk management is knowing operations, processes, procedures, supply chain issues, environmental controls, sustainability, asset management. So you know that better than anyone else. So you become invaluable. And as a matter of fact, we saw that happening during covid when a lot of CSOs were named heads of crisis committees and they took the controls. You know, speaking of COVID, you obviously mentioned that you put together a bit of a report on, on the effects of COVID on the physical security industry. What were the effects firstly? You know, what, what was your kind of summary from that? And has the pandemic played a role in making the security department's voice more prominent at the CSO kind of level? I did this study about a year ago, so it's it's hard to tell what the longer term effects will be, even though we're still in COVID. A lot of the restrictions, right, that are, you know, people not coming into work, that's eased up somewhat. We're certainly not out of the woods yet. So I'm kind of treating this as like a kind of post-COVID world. So in the study, I interviewed maybe a dozen CSOs and surveyed maybe a hundred more. I found that security's voice was definitely amplified in the immediate aftermath of COVID, during COVID, during the pandemic, and especially the authority and gravitas of security were enhanced. Security professionals were trained to operate in a crisis, and not many other people are. So yeah. while everyone else is flailing and running, what do we do? What do we do? Security is calm, it has a plan, and security could show its stuff. So, you know, security gained a lot of short term duties like space management and HVAC oversight and visitor screening. But you know, those are just tactical things that go away, right? But more importantly, they cemented their place at the table where strategy is made, especially in business continuity, where it's like business continuity in the past was like, yeah, yeah, you got to have a business continuity plan. You know, everybody had certain things, you know, fire and floods and extreme cold. And, you know, they had pandemics in there too, but two-week pandemic, not a two-year pandemic or, you know, whatever we're on now. And that's where security was able to really show its value. IFSEC International returned to London's Excel in May 2022 for the first time in three years. And it returned in some style. And security, facilities, fire safety, health and safety, and intelligent building integration professionals all came together across IFSEC and its co-located shows to reconnect, learn, and grow their networks. But don't take our word for it. Have a listen to what some of the exhibitors have to say themselves. It's great to be back at IFSEC. That intimate one-on-one conversations, face-to-face, you just can't replicate that over teams or virtually. What we like most about IFSEC is, is an opportunity to meet with new customers that we've not met before, chance to network with, with new businesses and new people, and it, yeah, it's an opportunity to get out into the market. It's in London, which gives us a, a fantastic opportunity to mix with clients from around the world. So for us, IFSEC is very important because it does have that international reach. So at the show, we've been meeting quite a breadth of people that have actually come to see us at the show this week. The opportunity to meet many people over such a short period of time is is an opportunity you just don't get in an average working week. We've been exhibiting in IFSEC since 2009, so quite a long time. And we are always very excited to come here. 
it's an opportunity for us to see what else is going on in the industry. It's a fabulous opportunity to get uh, input and feedback from across the market. IFSEX is one of the most important shows in the world. And giving us an opportunity to keep developing our product range for what our installers need is invaluable to our growth as an organisation and IFSEC is a great place to do that. If I was to describe IFSEC in a word, it would be... Brilliant. Innovation. Large. Fantastic. Opportunity. Collaboration. So, IFSEC International is back in 2023, between the 16th and 18th of May at London's Excel. If you want to be notified as soon as registration opens, then you can pre-register your interest today by following the link in the show notes. And if you'd like to exhibit and speak to thousands of security, facilities, fire and health and safety professionals, then just head to the website and download the sales brochure to find out more and speak to a member of the team. Right, so we're speaking in this episode to Mike Gibbs. So far in this interview, he's spoken about his background, his rise in the security industry and how COVID interrupted the sector. Shortly, we'll hear about his views on the future trends, but let's return to the interview where I congratulated Mike on being named in this year's IFSEC Global Most Influential in Security list. I asked Mike about how he heard he had been named. I got the call from Grant Leckie, who is the chief judge, because he calls some of the folks. I remember um, he called me and he said, oh, I've got some big news for you. And he said, you made the list. And I'm, I said, holy some expletive, right? Not only that, you are number one. And I said, holy, the same word again. Not only that, you up for influencer of the year among all the categories, you know, which is security executives, security end users, manufacturers, installers, and maybe cyber, I think. And again, I said, holy blank, right? So it was really a career highlight and a thrill. And as people say, I'm just happy to be here and acknowledge all the people I've learned from and really appreciate that it could be anyone else up there. There are many deserving people, but I'd be lying if I didn't say I was proud of it. Great to hear. It really is, as you said, there are lots of nominations that come in each year and only those who are nominated can be put in for the list each year. But the, the, the kind of point of it is to really celebrate and appreciate the amount of work that goes in from this sector, both this and the, and the fire sector, the, the professionals involved. You know, I've worked in a few different sectors now and I've not seen the same kind of level of passion and commitment outside of the kind of day-to-day anywhere else, really. It's really impressive, and it was, it's always great to read through some of the nominations that the judges have to go through. So you were named number one for the thought leaders, and on that tack, looking ahead, maybe, for this sector, if you could put your finger on maybe you know two trends you think will impact security professionals or the wider industry overall in the next 24 months, what would they be? Okay, so... You put me on the spot here. And as someone who's an overachiever, you know, I was always an overachiever in school. I'll do you better. I'll give you top two, but I'm going to give you three honorable mentions. So honorable mention three, this is a little bit out there. It's the metaverse. And it's the emerging risks out there with Web 3.0, with immersive, interactive experiences and simulations. And so you're going to have to deal with things like digital twins and the real world implications of these immersive virtual experiences like theft of trade secrets, stalking, things like that. Honorable mention two and honorable mention one are more technical, kind of put them together. It's the emergence of security, access control, alarms, and video surveillance, particularly as components of the broader prop tech suite of that's commercial property technology of residential property technology. So part of the prop tech suite of software in both commercial and residential real estate. So it's sort of being subsumed. 
securities getting competition from the uh, prop tech sector and becoming part of it. The other is this is more home security, the rise of do-it-yourself home security systems yeah. wrought by disruptive products like Ring and what that means for traditional alarm channel and alarm monitoring business. So those are the runners up. The uh, top two, I'd have to say, and this may be a little bit like guy who has a hammer, so everything he sees is nails um, <laughs> because I have it to align with my specialties, but the explosive growth of social media as a cause and effect of societal disruption, breakdown, and violence. There's a quote, I forget who it's ascribed to. Maybe it was Mark Twain, but probably wasn't Mark Twain, but you know, a lie gets around the world twice before the truth gets its knickers on, which is a great quote. But in the social media world, multiply that by a hundred, you know, the truth, you know, lie gets around, you know, bounces around satellites and all around the world 200 times by the time truth is waking up. And we're seeing real world effects and violence caused by online radicalization. Almost every day now you're seeing somebody inspired by, you know, some crazy person on the internet, like um, Brendan Tarrant, who was the person who live streamed the attack on the mosques in New Zealand. And you have a lot of people acting in his name. I yeah. believe the Buffalo grocery store shooter cited him as an inspiration. And then the other one has to be insider threat, which has been magnified by the phenomenon of work at home and the lesser protocols at home and fewer eyes on you and the hybrid workplace. Insider threat is also in a growth spurt, I think, because of the great resignation. Yep. You're seeing people, you know, they're about to leave, so they steal proprietary information or they're committing fraud or theft or whatever. And we can't forget that insider threat is a lot more than that. You know, it includes workplace violence and even things like activism by employees who have been radicalized online. So you may have people in the United States, the two most volatile issues that our country has faced in a long time are happening simultaneously. One is the reversal of Roe v. Wade, and we're seeing protests, people who um, uh, right to choose versus right to life, and radical groups promising violence. And then you might have that kind of, that, that kind of tension in the workplace where you have people with strong views on both sides. They may take it out on you know, someone in your organization who feels differently, or, you know, as in the case of um, January 6th, and that's the other thing going on, the hearings on January 6th, which kind of divide the country, you had people on that day, and this is pretty well known and reported, who were marching through the Capitol and, you know, stealing things and hit police. And they were wearing their corporate name tags, you know, so wow. a whole bunch of people were identified by company. And that is, an, you know, that's an awful reputational hit, you know, that that someone working for you is an insurrectionist. So you had a lot of companies, you know, really backpedaling and saying, oh, they no longer work for us or whatever. So hopefully you don't see that kind of thing. But really, with country and the world actually so divided, activists and extremists in your own company, I think, are going to take on increasing importance and prevalence. Super interesting, all of that, and you know, from the honourable mentions right through to the, the, those two, I think it's interesting. You know, the, the security department is is now going to, and you know, maybe going to have to get involved with the HR department and, and and everybody in between to collaborate a bit more on on looking out for this kind of stuff with the insider threat. I think these are issues that are kind of traditionally outside the workplace issues and and seem to be, as as you suggest, 
coming into the work or might come into the workplace, which is is something else to kind of start factoring in from the security department as if as if they didn't already have enough to deal with. Exactly. And it's like, do you, do you monitor social media? That's kind of creepy, right? Yeah. You know, that's a big issue. And there's legal ramifications doing it. And obviously, the legal ramifications differ, you know, what country you're in, maybe even by what region of the country. So, um, yeah, it's and, you know, there are all sorts of duty of care. And I forget what duty of care is. It's a separate term in the UK for duty of care. It slips my mind right now. But that principle adheres in certainly in most Western countries and it differs. So you have to figure out how to satisfy that. You know, the social media point as well is is certainly something that we've seen in the UK and you know, maybe not quite like the, the January 6th incident and, and all of that, but we saw it from as early on as well, for a long time ago, obviously, but but, but Brexit particularly social media kind of you could see the factions building i think when you really looked into it and that's when you start you know having the cambridge analytica stuff and and all of the stuff that goes with it which is it, social media has definitely there there are many benefits to social media uh, but there are also as you suggest many many risks and many concerns that i think certainly i, I have as well i think the, the there's there's some i think one of my friends works for a fact checking company and i think they are going to be increasingly important as we kind of move on and and you know, there's still so many people who are maybe not aware of the kind of how things get spread on social media so quickly and, you know, kind of just believe what they see and believe what they read. And it, it's, it's a concern that due diligence, maybe they should, the general public shouldn't be expected to do as much due diligence as they do at the moment. But That's an excellent point. And we're almost to the point where we can't even agree on a fact anymore. Yeah. Um, people who are friends, I was talking to a friend who's on the other side of the politi- political spectrum, and we're both pretty moderate. And we were describing a situation, and I said, tell me about COVID. And we vehemently disagreed with each other based on where we saw the news, mm. right? And he said, oh, no, it's this. And I said, no, no, it's that. And I'm like, where do you see it? And we both was like, we both saw it in kind of neutral sources. You know, it wasn't like we saw it on, you know, far left or far, far right. It was almost like, you know, the Wall Street Journal versus, I don't know, um, the Christian Science Monitor, if that means anything to you, you know, they're pretty much, you know, centrist, and yet they reported the same facts in different ways. And we kind of were like, whoa, you know, is there such a thing? It's like hard to find objective truth. Everything is politicized. So, you know, we have to deal with that. I'm very aware you, you've recently written a really interesting and quite sad article about a US intelligence agent, I believe, or an ex US intelligence agent, I believe, whose life has taken a, a bit of a turn. Um, obviously, we can't do the full story justice here, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Do you want to just provide a very short overview and explain where uh, listeners to this podcast can can read more about the full piece? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for bringing it up because I've written more than a thousand articles for different magazines and publications in my career. And this one is by far the most personal and I think the most important. It's called The Spy in My Basement, and it's in the June issue of Washingtonian Magazine. Unfortunately, um, to get the, the the article, you have to subscribe to the magazine. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to I have the copyright to it, so I'm going to put the story without the the graphics or the or the photographs on my website, and I'll provide a link. I don't have it right now, but in the meantime, if people want to read it, I'll send them the story. I'll email it to them. But it's a story of an American hero. This guy's he's an amazing man, and he was betrayed. He had performed missions over you know 40 years for the US intelligence services in more than 100 countries 
And you know, that ranges from the jungles of Colombia to the burnt out streets of Beirut in the civil war there. He saved countless lives, broke up terrorist rings, stopped narco traffickers, rescued people who were kidnapped. Really, that alone is an amazing story. But on the side, he was working for the intelligence services and they would just sort of figuratively parachute him into the country with like, you know, here's here's all you need to know about Peru or, or Liberia or something. And it's like, it was nothing. So he started doing his own research on tactics, criminal groups, trends, and to prepare himself sort of, you know, for, okay, what might I face here dealing with Sendero Luminoso in Peru or something? And so he ended up cobbling together through intelligence reports, interviews, interrogations, corporate security records, insurance, case law, magazines, newspapers, books, a um, database of more than 3 million crime, security, and terrorism incidents sorted into 80,000 categories by sector, topic, tactic, job title, location, and, and a million more factors. And he he was predicting all these trends. And so, you know, Oprah had him on Today Show, 60 Minutes, all, you know, big shows in the United States and internationally. He was in the New York Times all the time and the Washington Post and cited in more than 400 newspapers. And I won't go into it. You'll see it, read about it in the story and form your own conclusion. But now he's homeless and he had been staying in my basement. He'd been for about a year and a half. He's now sort of in and out. I never quite know where he is on, on any given day. Um, but I'll leave it at that. And if you're interested in reading it, I'm happy to send it to you and also be posting it on my website. I know you sent me a, a short copy and, and I, I can confirm it is a, a super interesting and, and also quite sad story. But I will leave that for the for the listeners to have a look at. And, you know, once we have that link, we'll put it in the in the description of this podcast. But for now, if, if anybody wants to get hold of it, then I'm sure they can email you. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. It's really, really interesting insight into your world, into the security sector world and, and future trends and all that kind of stuff. So thank you very much for coming on and, and congratulations again on, on being named to the influencer list. Thank you so much. It's been a real privilege and pleasure, and hopefully we can do it again. What a fantastic guest to have on the podcast. Mike's experience certainly covers a lot in the industry, as you heard, and I was particularly interested into his insight on what is set to affect the industry in the years to come. I know phrases like blockchain look set to be more on the agenda as we move forward. But it really was the discussion around insider threats that really fascinated me. I think it's been a theme in all three episodes of the IFSEC Global Security and Focus podcast so far. But that word collaboration just keeps on cropping up. Embracing a holistic enterprise security culture and working with other departments such as HR, facilities, IT, as well as your supply chain looks set to be crucial to mitigating the growing insider threat. And we'll also help in getting that all important seat at the table as we discussed earlier in the episode. Speaking of trends, it's worth pointing out that IFSEC Global's latest trend report was released in June. We'll pop the link in the description to this episode of the podcast, but anyone interested in the present state and future trends and challenges of physical access control systems will really find value in it. Uh, The results are actually based off over a thousand responses globally to a survey to security facilities and IT professionals, and the 22-page report is free to download on IFSEC Global today. But that's all from this episode of the Security and Focus podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn to keep up with the latest in the industry. Thanks for listening and see you next time.